like Brent Laurie and I bet I could watch you spread your air out all day. But when you're done doing whatever, when you're through playing whoever, you know that the Nats fans will be right here waiting for you. Hello everyone, welcome to Resting Pitch Face. This is episode 39. I'm Kay. I'm Laura. And I'm Sydney. Um, catch us on our Twitter, Resting Pitch Face with no G. You can also check out our website, restingpitchface.com, that has links to our Gmail and our sort of defunct Tumblr and our Zazzle store, if that's interested, interesting for you. Um, it's, all, it's a great central hub to get in contact with us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Um, I'm rushing through this bit because we had planned to do a fun lighthearted episode this time around you know sum up the all-star game we're on the trade deadline we were going to have some fun with it dink predictions and analysis but no baseball had to be really 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 swear jar disappointing today and this whole the past three weeks and uh so we're gonna we gotta deal with it we gotta we gotta do this now and um i think our kind of overall theme is going to be that baseball has disappointed yeah so in the the interest of full disclosure we normally outline our episodes so we normally sort of say you know this is the major things we'd like to talk about and this is the order and because Kay is good to us she makes us think about think about transitions um and we might get distracted by like long tangents about face chlamydia or other chlamydia really um you know that sort of how we we tend to run run the podcast but for this one i didn't bother outlining it because it was we have two things to talk about it's obvious to all of us what what each of them is um and so our our two things and you know for folks who are expecting a lighthearted post uh all-star break uh episode this is this is maybe not the episode for you um are gonna be Osuna's trade from the Blue Jays to the Astros and Trey Turner tweets that, uh, and Trey Turner, let's just kind of leave it there. Um, by mutual consent, we all decided to talk about Osuna first, but like rest assured, we are coming back to discuss Trey. Um, so please, as we're talking about other teams being horrible, do not think that the Nationals are in any way exempt. And also, in in the interest of full disclosure, we kind of decided that because we have a lot more to talk about with with regards to Trey, specifically. Um, and so we wanted to make sure we had the full amount of time for that. So, Osuna is an Astro. We have talked a fair amount about the domestic violence policy before, um, and so we can, you know, run back through some of our particular objections. Um, but I actually did have one thing. Um, it's been coming up a fair amount about the fact that the the domestic violence suspensions don't um, ban people from the postseason of the year in which they're suspended. Um, and obviously, I think that that's an important conversation to have. And um, what Ken Rosenthal responded to it with was he actually reposted an article that he wrote back in 2017 about that distinction and not necessarily condoning it, but basically saying this is the rationale for it. Um, and the rationale for why um, for, the, for the rationale for why PED suspensions do ban you from the postseason and domestic violence suspensions do not. And essentially, the rationale for that, as he explained it, was PED use can continue to impact your body for longer than you're taking the drugs, and that is something that directly impacts your performance on the field. Therefore, they feel that it specifically needs to cause you to be banned from the postseason because that is a higher stakes playing field, literally speaking. Whereas domestic violence, though he says is much more egregious of a crime, which I think we can all agree with, um, is not something that's necessarily going to impact your performance. And the reason that I'm bringing this up in the context of the Osuna trade is that I think now that we've had a couple of years under our belts to see how this policy works, that's functionally no longer true. We can no longer say that domestic violence suspensions do not affect the playing field in the postseason because of the way teams are exploiting them for trades. I think that that may or may not have been a fair point when they started. I'm sure they certainly believed that it was true. At this point, I think we have enough evidence to say between the Chapman deal, the Osuna deal, 
it does affect the postseason. Maybe not in the same way that PED use does, but that to me is no longer a justification because it does affect the postseason. The Astros are clearly making a playoff push here. They are hoping Osuna will be a big part of that, and they're hoping to be able to use him to repeat their World Series win theoretically. And so, and they're getting him for a lot cheaper because of these because of this. Right, exactly. And so, I appreciate Ken Rosenthal's explanation um, because. You know, if there's a difference in policies, it's good to know what the basis is. But I think that also makes it very clear, at least to me, that the basis for the difference is no longer valid and that the domestic violence suspension policy needs to change um, to reflect that. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, that's that's really, really abundantly clear. I think that using the domestic violence policy as a way to basically buy cheap what what otherwise would be expensive in order to make a a playoff push is particularly disgusting um i think the astros because with the exception of gary l their team is so and and now azuna their team is so charming that people don't understand that their front office are awful um and they're using basically like analytics i i love statistics but analytics are inherently not putting people first. Um, it's putting numbers and, and profit first. And it's treating people like their product, not like their Yeah, people. you know, and, and baseball, the, the people are the product. But at the same time, like, this is especially producty product. And so them being like, well, we can really capitalize on the fact that he he's undergoing ongoing, you know, he, he's still in court. Like, he's due in court in August for this. Um, and they're getting up like, oh, he deserves a second chance. I'm like, he's not at the end of the first chance yet. Yeah, I mean, the zero tolerance policy is a joke. They literally said that it's zero tolerance within the organization and that that can include a second chance. I'm like, I actually I put this on Twitter. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Also, this is going back to the... What you were saying, because I hadn't read Ken Rosenthal's article. Yeah, I saw it today. But um, what's, what I'm finding interesting about what you're pointing out here is that the policy basis is purely based on product, what you mm. are producing, like what your performance is, etc. Whereas culturally, we have been looking at these policies as punishment. So is it punishment or is it just how much does it affect your performance? And I'd say if, if they're treating it like it's only a question of what are you going to do later, that means it's not functioning the way it's supposed to. And I'm not going on like a like a punishment advocacy tour right now, but like one is consequences for your actions and the other one is let's keep the playing field even. Yeah. Right? And treating it like it's keep the playing field even is an inappropriate way to treat treat it. You can treat it that way if it's just if you're just talking about PEDs, and I think that's actually a good approach to talking about PEDs. But when you're using them both together, you can't one has to be treated like it's actually consequences, and one has to be treated like it's a product of performance, and the PEDs get treated like it's consequences, and domestic violence does not. And to be fair, they're not even consistent with that with the PEDs, because if they really wanted to keep the game clean, I mean, what was it? D. Gordon tested positive immediately after winning a batting title. And I'm not saying this just because I'm bitter about Bryce not winning it, which I am. But also, if you test positive for PEDs right after you win a batting title, you should lose that batting title. Again, treating it like It should go to the person. Yes. Yeah. Well, consequences and a level playing field. To me, that's both. And frankly, I think that they should be both. I think you break a rule and you change the terms of the game, frankly, at this point, with both types of infractions, and that therefore we should be looking at these as consequences for rule breaking and bad personness, and as a way of keeping the game from being impacted by these actions. Yeah, and I also, and we've talked about it with PED, and PED is particularly with, um, what is it, Cargo, who's on the, the Rays, talking about, you know, he, you know, he doesn't believe that uh, players tests you know being tested for this are done equitably absolutely you know and and i think with peds that's definitely more sort of the thing of 
a specific type of player gets tested for this, a specific type of player gets suspended. The the zero tolerance policy seems to really affect older and non-white players more more so. You know, I agree with Kay, like we're not on the punishment grand tour, but like consequences are clearly happening. They are happening swiftly. They are happening without much appeal process. And they are happening in ways that like really do financially penalize people. And that's not happening if you are, you know, if you commit an act of, of domestic violence or other kinds of abuse. Like, it, you know, I agree. We, we, they switched the two policies and sort of the way that they're being adjudicated. And it's just, it's clear that for the, the former with PEDs, they're not even, they're, how do I put this? They're doing it like every other part of the criminal justice system mm-hmm. unfairly, but, but to a great degree of punishment versus the latter is doing it just like every other part of the gr- criminal justice system, which is to say, eh, we wouldn't want to, re- we wouldn't want, you know, someone to suffer a consequence essentially. Is this the right time to talk about consequences then? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about Osuna other than the fact that, like, the Astros front office is, tr- I called him trash on Saturday and on another podcast. I'm a- shout out. Shout flipping- out to flipping bats and winning games. Thank you, because I almost said flipping games and winning bats, which is also cool. Yes. But not correct. Uh, I think that's that's cheating. <laughs> I think that, that one is cheating. <laughs> but, like, I called them a trash organization for how their front office man- ma- managed players on Saturday, and I'll call them a trash organization today. Yeah. That's, a like, a whole other episode, really. Yeah. Speaking of um, our, our own trash organization. Yeah. And some consequences. <sighs> Who wants to break the seal here, guys? <sighs> I, we're we're done. I mean, we're done with Trey. I mean, that's really the reality of this, I think, for all of us. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. So to back it up, in case anybody has been living under a rock. Yeah, or... I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know how anyone who is not who is following us probably doesn't know. But yeah, in the again, in the interest of full disclosure, or six rocks, or on the moon. Um, you know, the way that it, it unfolded, because I feel like I saw it unfold was Sean Newcomb, um, had an almost no hitter against, you know, with the Braves against the Dodgers, uh, which was broken up in the last at bat of the ninth, um, by Chris, by Chris Taylor and a bunch of people went and, you know, found some of his old tweets, not through scrolling through them. I think that people have a misconception on the amount of time that this stuff takes. You just put in the person's user handle and a couple of keywords and any, and anything involving those keywords tends to pop up really fast. Um, And, you know, Newcomb said a bunch of super, super, super awful homophobic and racist things. And then a bunch of Braves fans went and were like, Oh, well let, let, you know, he who is without Twitter sin, um, and then basically brought up these tweets from Trey and they both were, they both tweeted them around the same time period, which is I think 2011 through 2012 when they were about the same age, 17 or 18. Um, and it had similar content, uh, which was to say some song lyrics that they shouldn't have been quoting or in Trey's case, a movie that he shouldn't have been quoting. And then some very, very, very homophobic language um, being posted pretty casually. And they did it as kind of a gotcha. And I think they expected Nationals Twitter to maybe go, oh, well, we know our guys changed. And instead we all went, that's really, really messed up, Trey. And you're basically canceled. And that's sort of how it unfolded. Yeah, and and have we podcasted since the hater tweets that started this all off? We haven't. Because um, just just to point out for those living under many rocks that this was the third in a sequence now of this unfortunate uh, trend, shall we say. <laughs> and I do think um, haters were sort of in a class of their own because they were, you know, white power, KKK. Yeah, they were actively but aggressive. That, right. And and. So I think it's important to make that distinction without in any way excusing the ones that Newcomb and Turner put up. Yeah. And I think the ones that Newcomb and Turner put up, you know, a lot of people obviously went and bent over 
backwards to excuse Hater, and Hater got a freaking standing ovation when he came Dang. out for having overcome not changing whatsoever. Such a hardship. And so with with both Trey and with Newcomb, it was a case of people immediately popping up to be like, oh, they were so young, they didn't know, they and they both give, gave essentially the same BS apology, which was like... I, I mentioned to someone earlier today that if you took both of their apologies and Frankenstein them together, it's almost a full apology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you ever see on like a pitching pitching ninja when they have like the the pitches overlaid over one another? Yeah. So you can see that like the release point on these two fir- you know pitches is fairly similar, and I'm like, this is the same. Yeah. Like this is this is the same white guy apology yeah. of. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not like this, except we do know that you're like this because you said it. Uh, I apologize to the organization, not to actual human beings who, whose words that you've hurt, you know, who you've hurt with your words, rather. You know, it's it's at least Atlanta, at least apologize to the community. I, I have to say, and I not to defend any bar for any reason. Like, I feel like this is where Trey actually missed the ball worse. Because there's no way in hell that Trey wrote his res- his response. Somebody wrote that for him and maybe ran it by him. Um, at least Newcomb talked to people himself of his own volition. Which is a small, small thing to be pointing out. But it, like, it makes Trey, to me, it makes Trey look that much worse. Like you, you, you had an opportunity to go and address this yourself and you let somebody else say it for you. Cause there's no, I yeah. And on that, that, on that vein, I'm actually really sorry. It was an off day today because it meant that there wasn't an opportunity for reporters to ask him questions directly today, which would have, it's we're recording on Monday for, for listeners. And it would have been nice. I know he totally could have last night um, formulated a better statement, but I, think that some of our reporters who are doing a very good job on covering this would have asked some really good questions and that maybe would have gotten some more genuine answers if they'd been able to do it more immediately. Yeah. And I think Newcomb opening, reopening the locker room to talk to the media or to the clubhouse to talk to the media was absolutely, I mean, for the given circumstances, a better move. Trey, I think was on a, they were on a plane and then it's an off day, but like, how do I put this? If he wanted to get on on the phone with anyone from the Washington Post, I imagine that opportunity is available to him. Right. So Trey obviously could have instigated it on his end at any time, um, and he didn't. So, bleh. but I think my my regret about there not being a game is that it would have given the opportunity for the media to kind of more aggressively take that initiative themselves with him in less of a position to evade them. True. Whereas um, with the travel and the off day, it was in his court, so to speak, and he did not choose to he instigate it. He literally dropped the ball, shall we say. Oh, gee. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, this is a case where I was like, okay, well, they were on a plane yesterday. They're issuing a statement. He has an entire day-to-day to get himself, his agent, and his various people in line, you know, together and say, okay, I'd like to, you know, extend my statement. I want to, you know, give X amount of money. I want to do, you know, whatever else. I think one of the best comments I saw on Twitter yesterday was from Other Sydney, um, who, you know, with Trey's initial statement was like, this is missing future verbs. Mm -hmm. I will be volunteering. I will be donating. Um, because one of the really frustrating things is about like, oh, well, I'm not that person who I was. And everyone's like, well, then show us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. show us. And if you don't want to inflict yourself on an, on an organization volunteering, which, you know, that sort of maybe that might be more trouble than it's worth. You know, your money's green and you're literally a millionaire. So put your millionaire money where your millionaire damn mouth is. And honestly, I'm going to say... You can demonstrate that literally in the way that you apologize. Like, you can say, I was wrong. I screwed up. I hurt people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hurting people now that this has resurfaced. I don't believe these things, but clearly I haven't demonstrated it, and I'm looking forward to learning on how to do better. 
Yeah. Right. That's like, so, like screw like like I yes, it would be ideal if you like volunteered his time or donated his money. But literally you can demonstrate that you've learned just from how you apologize for fucking up. I, I kind of am I kind of feel that you need to have an acknowledgement, an apology, and an action. That's fair. That's like, fair. You need to have all three for me. Like I'll I'll be honest, like that's what I put sort of my terms and conditions on Twitter were those things. And he did one and a half of those. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if he even got the one. Yeah. At least he acknowledged that what he said was bad. I don't think Hater even managed that. No, no. no. And like again, that's the acknowledgement part. But like, right? No, absolutely. You know, I, this is also he didn't apologize to people in the community. He apologized nope. to the team, and he didn't actually apologize for what he did. He apologized for getting caught. He apologized for bringing a bad name to the team. Yeah. Boo hoo! My heart bleeds. Yeah. Yeah. Like and. I just was going to say, like, one of the biggest things for me was that as soon as people started noticing and I guess presumably retweeting his old tweets, he started deleting immediately. That's not. Yeah, I screenshot its, its retweet of one. Well, but my point is that's not taking responsibility for your actions. Like, that isn't. That is trying True. to sweep them under the rug and hope so that not enough see them, not enough people see them before it blows up. I, I don't know that that's the case. I, I kind of feel like, all right. If you delete it and then you're like, okay, and now I am going to, like, you know what? I have changed. I don't believe those things anymore. These don't represent me and I don't want my name by them. And so I'm now going to demonstrate that through anything, like, beyond deleting a tweet. Like, it's it's that coupled with, because I don't, I don't think at that point he thought he was getting away with anything. That's where I, that's where I get, because I agree with what you're saying, but he missed the second half of it. He just did the deletion part, which is why I think he's trying to hide it. I, I Yeah, I don't, I don't know how effective that would have been at I, that point. Like, no, uh, <laughs> that's a different debate. <laughs> yeah. Um, um I, I just am kind of like, you know what? It's, it's, it was good to see that at least two players on Twitter we're saying the right things and seem to be listening to other people. Like he, he clearly didn't even like say, you know, I'm going to do a lot of soul searching or I'm going to do some listening or I'm going to try to better understand. Like, I, I know that those are hurtful things that I said, but I'm going to try to understand how and, and like specifically hurtful they were. Like it, it was just kind of like a, it was a non, it was a non-apology. So like, yeah, it was, one and a half of the three things I want I wanted out of this shitty ass situation. Can I make a quick note about age? Yes. <laughs> Always. Yeah. As well, it won't be my usual ones, which are generally targeted to make you guys feel as old as possible. Um, but so there's been a lot made about how old these guys were when they said this stuff. And I think we're all kind of missing the point because from the people saying they were just kids, and then the people who were saying, well, when I was their age, I had already saved the whales. So the fact was, there's a middle ground in when between I was those in two high things. And early college. At the I exact same am time Trey's age. Trey was in high school I am within college. six months of Trey's I knew age. a lot of people like me. I am not very far from being 17. Like <laughs> and I think talking about how each of us individually was at that age kind of misses the point of how... Teenagers have the potential to learn that this stuff is wrong. Whether they did or not is another question. You know, it can depend on where you live. It can depend on who your family is. It can depend on the environment in which you're taught. But the fact is, teenagers have the ability to learn that slurs are not okay. Many, many do. Some don't. And to kind of add on to that, so, like, I love how people are acting like this is the far-flung past. It's 2012! <laughs> like, professionally, and I'm saying this as a, as a, I guess, a grown woman, like, professionally, I am not in a super hugely different place than I was in 2012. Like, you know, I have a different job, but, like, I, I don't feel like I'm looking back and I'm like, wow, my 2012 self, like, spent a summer in San Diego learning how to make, uh proteins on a 3d printer and i didn't know how to do that before 2012 but like we're not talking radical changes um and as somebody who has an n of 1100 or so when it comes to 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 teaching 17 year year olds 
the idea that 17 year olds in 2012 didn't know not to use those words is on its face absurd right and and again to to reflect the fact that i was growing up at the exact same time and i was the exact same age even if you were in an environment where people around you were saying it and it was normalized the internet existed Glee existed. A lot of us were watching Glee. That's what we were doing. Okay. Like, uh, <laughs> sorry. You can learn a lot from Glee about not calling another person the F word. Um, I, I'm just saying. And so so I just want to make this point specifically because of the fact that I'm the same age as them to reflect that whether or not some people knew better, the opportunity to know better was there. The ability to know better was there and that therefore if they didn't the way that we're talking about it should reflect the fact that they could have and should have and i i want to sort of intersect with that not exactly the same point but you mentioned normalization of this Mm -hmm. stuff and yeah okay like yes these guys have been in an environment that normalizes a lot of this language like that is like that's just a truth that's not a um that's not a justification, certainly. They are in this in this environment that encourages that. To me, honestly, that makes it worse. And I say that as a person who in my past has been in situations where stuff was normalized and I did do it and I'm very deeply ashamed of that. That makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Because that means that you stopped thinking about your own behavior. You could have been like, okay, well, everyone's saying this, but should it be said and you just didn't even ask yourself that question yeah and, and at the I, age to of me 17... that's the worst thing when you just say oh it's oh it's normalized well no that's actually to a certain extent to, from a certain perspective that is a worse thing because you just didn't you turned off the part of your brain that thought about what you were doing yeah and at the age of 17 you absolutely have the ability to think critically about that you absolutely mm-hmm. do well, seventeen-year-olds, because to and again, this is if you're if you listen to Flipping Bats and Winning Games, you have heard this rant before. Seventeen-year-olds can so, have to sign up for the draft if they're male. Like, if you by the time you are eighteen, you have to sign up for the you have to register for the draft if you're a U.S.-born male. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they can, uh, in many places, uh, get married. In a lot of places, consent to sexual activity. Um, they can sign multi-million-dollar baseball contracts. Let's let's also say that like he was grown enough to do that, mm-hmm. but was not grown enough to regulate his own speech. And this is just sort of the the extension of white adolescent boyhood until I don't know the grave, um, where oh he's just a boy and doesn't know better. You know what? We have an actual literal teenager on our team right now, and if he said half of these things, he would be excoriated, rightly, for mm-hmm. them. Yep. But you know, because Trey is a a poor dumb white boy, we're gonna we're gonna give him an enormous amount of latitude, and his learning curve can last yeah. until you know we're yeah. all dead and gone. There, there is a time and a place for he just didn't know better, and this is not that time or place. Yeah, per- I mean, period. And, and frankly, I think fewer people are saying about saying that about Trey than they were about Hater, which is kind of alarming. But um, I think we've by this point at least debunked that explanation a couple of times now, such that yeah. I think the conversation about Trey, at least what I've been seeing of it, which is admittedly not all of it, has been a little bit more productive. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I don't know how much of that is the people who are specifically talking about Trey or if it's just we're, this is our third time on the merry-go-round. We've learned from the past mistakes of a week ago, <laughs> seven years ago. Yeah. And I do think it it was sort of, you know, the, the Nationals, we as a fan base benefited from the fact that these were a n- not as bad as what Hater said, because obviously that was like yeah white power tweets i mean there is a there is a continuum here but also b by going by we we could learn from both the brewers and the braves even if it were only a few short hours example of oh he was just a boy he he knew better blah blah um or well he's changed a lot or whatever like people had a long time to sort of 
formulate and reflect on what their response would be if a national did those things. And then un- unfortunately, like that opportunity arose pretty swiftly. Ugh. Um, but, Sorry, but I that was think, involuntary. Yeah, but I do think that, uh, you know, sort of, how do I put this? We could learn from the non-examples and respond that way. I don't know that if we had those non-examples that, I mean, I was, I was still, there were people I was like, yeah, block, block, mute, mute, you know, uh, unfollow, unfollow. That was mm-hmm. my day yesterday. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have to say, and, and the other thing is, you know, the DC area is one of the most politically liberal areas in the US. Um, but, you know, we, I have to say, I don't know if everybody who I didn't block unmute or block mute or follow yesterday uh, or unfollow yesterday would have been reacting in a way that I found to be good, if not for having seen the non-examples of other teams. Right. And, and that, frankly was not entirely luck. Yes. If I may. Um, so I I have heard that there were, I heard this from one person directly and about other people indirectly, um, that there were a handful of Nats fans who actually knew about Trey's tweets. Um, and I'm actually really upset about that because for all that some of the stuff that has come up in this conversation, Barry Sverluga's article, Sean Doolittle's thread, have been very productive, I do find it really upsetting that a group of Nats fans knew about this and rather than taking the opportunity to kind of start off the narrative, set the tone, and you know, kind of hold Trey accountable as a fan base on our own terms, they, for whatever reason, and I don't pretend to completely know why, sat on them and didn't say anything. And while we were talking about Newcomb, there were people who knew that Trey had posted some stuff relatively similar to what Newcomb had posted and were sitting on that instead of saying anything about it. And we could have started this conversation in a much more productive way if the conversation had been started by Nats fans wanting to hold their player accountable. And instead of taking that opportunity, people who knew about it instead let it sit to the point where Braves fans got to dredge it up, not in good faith in starting a productive conversation, but instead as a gotcha point to try to undermine Nats fans' points about their player. So that's both a missed opportunity, some great hypocrisy, and a really lousy way to start talking about something that we want to ultimately use to make people better. And also, again, to intersect with that, because this was information was sat on, it let a lot of people get really blindsided in an extremely painful way. Yep. Which I, 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 I'm trying to not speak for other this. You can speak for me. I was crying on my couch. And I'm sorry, Laura. (laughs) I am. No, I am. This hit for me in my anger points, not my pain points. So I don't want to speak to others' pain too much. But, like, I saw this hit people that I care about and don't know. And other people I don't know. It hit them in a really painful way. And, like, it's gonna... This is gonna hurt no matter what. But knowing that people had this information and could have taken the opportunity not to ease Trey Turner into the boiling water, but to ease all of the rest of the people so that it wasn't just like a slap in the face. Like that feels like a, just a cruelty to a certain Yeah. That extent. would have been nice. Now that you mention it. Like, yeah. I think that the, I mean, people obviously felt inc- like feel incredibly hurt and incredibly betrayed, but I agree that the whole, we're going to ease Trey Turner into the boiling water is a very just it's it's a perpetrator centric way of dealing with it mm-hmm. and not a community centric way of dealing with it um and in a lot of ways it's just a very it's it's a selfish decision mm-hmm. well and we don't know why they made that decision i'm not even sure who all knew i know that there were a few people who knew i know who a couple of them are i have no idea they're not people i know well i have no idea why they chose not to talk about it. Maybe their intentions were good. I don't really care. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's that's sort of why I'm going to stick with my. It was a selfish decision, mm-hmm. like regardless of the the motivation of it. But I know, you know, um, Jen Rubenstein obviously gets called on in a lot of the circumstances to sort of be the yeah. the voice of yeah. queerness and, Twitter, and and they do it so well, but it's not their responsibility. Well, it's it's a responsibility that that. Jen has assumed, but at the but, same time, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. They should be given a break from it sometimes. Yeah. It, it shouldn't always fall to them. Yeah. And so just sort of checking in and saying, like, it's okay to be exhausted by this. It's okay to be hurt by it. Like, Aaron Dolan was even like, I feel exhausted and hurt by this yeah. uh, because you know, this is talking about my family. This is talking about, you know, you know, one of one of her husband's coworkers said this thing essentially, you know, and it applies to her family. And so it's a case of just of of understanding that that be like even beyond the immediate hurt, it's it's a discourt it's a discourtesy to a community that works to be a community. You had an opportunity to put a pillow under a lot of people who needed it. And you let them hit the concrete. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just think people are hurt, obviously, but also very, very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't say that tiredness lately. I, I just, I think it's a, it's an understandable exhaustion. But I, I think that it's, regardless of the motivation behind, behind not telling people, like that was sort of the running theme of, you know, Jen of Laura, you on Twitter, um, Kelly Wallace, who's, uh, you know, in, in Cubs Twitter, just everyone was just like, I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And not I'm so tired of players doing this, of I'm so tired of the fact that when this happens, it falls to the people who are marginalized to have to do the work of, of essentially the cleanup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I, I have to say, you know, Laura, when you let us know about that, I'm like, you know, that's, that's, yeah, maybe I said discourteous, but that's obviously a, a like an understatement. It's, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hurtful because it's not acknowledging the, that the work that other people are doing. And it's hurtful because it's saying, I'm going to choose not to disclose something. And really, I'm not going to be the one to call, called on who has to speak for a community when it's, stuff like this happens. It's thinking about it as a tool. Yeah. Not as something that actually affects actual people. And again, I <laughs> not to say Trey Turner is not an actual person, but not talking about Trey Turner talking about everybody else like this this was like it feels like this was being treated all of this information well right for it to be coming to light about hater and newcomb and trey it feels like right now it's being used as a cudgel to win a point and ignoring the people that are getting cudgeled cudgeled yeah (laughs) exactly like yeah and i think yeah sorry go ahead i think I, i think an important point that we have been making, but um, that I just want to make sure doesn't get lost is while we're talking about the individual people, we have not heard anything from MLB about them seeing this as a larger cultural issue. And I'm I'm not saying that I expect them to, um, but I have seen some fans, um, Megan, that girl on deck, for example, and just some other fans with like decent size following, some of whom are not in the LGBT community, but use their platforms well, who have been saying MLB needs to take this to do systemic diversity training and to do systemic, you know, and and I don't really think that that will happen, but I'm glad that there are people even outside the community who are calling for it. If they can have hire guys to teach them not to put dish soap in the laundry machine. Oh my God. They can hire somebody to have them sit down. I just had to take an HR seminar that like, I was like, I know the answers to the questions before you've asked them. Like they can give them a freaking HR seminar online. I will teach it. Like, honestly, I'll teach it. Give me some free tickets. I'll be there. You're a two for one. You can teach them how not to get the clap and how to actually be a sensitive human being. 
oh my god, you're totally right. I could wear a little Jimmy Dugan uniform and tell people to look like penises with hats on. <laughs> that's the true wow. life skill. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of luck. Um, <laughs> you, you know, know the line, right? You know, I didn't just yeah, come up. With that. I, I know, I know the line. Thank God. Um, uh, one, it's not like you know, whatever. We can shout invectives at umpires. It's fine. Um, but it, it, this is also beyond the like diversity training and, and things like that, which I think are a good first step. Mm. It's also amplifying and holding up people who are doing the the right thing already. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in catch people being good. So it's the Sean Doolittles of the world. Hell, it's the John freaking Lester's of the world who and started Brandon out. McCarthy. Let's not yeah. ignore him. And Brandon McCarthy, absolutely. But like John Lester started out, eh, not great. And then people were like, hey, John Lester, and this is all today, like, hey, John Lester, maybe you shouldn't do this for like these reasons, or please clarify your position. And he was like, thank you. I will clarify my position. And yeah. you are absolutely right. And I'm going to show that my mind has been changed. That And also, it was also like, that was badly worded because I'm new to this yes. to a certain extent too, you know, but again. I- show demonstrating that you're listening and learning yes and so i think saying you know players who are using a platform in a in a positive way should not only not be you know censured by mlb but should be held up as like this is the kind of stuff we want you to do on social media you know kike hernandez is not shy about his political beliefs you know the fact that his and mine tend to overlap pretty heavily does endear me to him he also uses his social media to post pictures of himself in tiny shorts like it, you know this is a case where we have a lot of of good examples um you know we we had uh you know uh carlos beltran who was just like yeah i'm not i'm not going to the white house like that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the beginning and end of it and so there are a bunch of players who are using their platform essentially for good and I would like it, them to be not just not just not punished. Um, minor shout out on that note. Sterling Sharp retweeted oh. Sean Doolittle's thread. So far, the only player I have personally seen do that. I'm not saying nobody has. Um, Sterling Sharp, for those not familiar, is currently tearing up double A as a pitcher for us. And he has posted some real good stuff about why you should not be racist. I feel so like I, everybody keep your eye on him for pitching and good personness. I, I think I followed him like a week and a half ago and, and was like, I do not regret this decision, which is a rare thing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, also I was just like, yes, I'm, I'm gl- apparently I'm, too. Sorry. No, I was just like, I, I'm glad I did a good thing here. <laughs> I'm apparently two degrees of separation from him. So I'm going to try to expand on that because he seems really cool. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's just a case of like, so Sean Doolittle obviously is, it benefits from a lot of things. One, he's, he's under contract with us for a while Two, you know, he's working with uh, an organization that, that has seemed to be supportive of the work that he's doing and being fairly outspoken. Whereas we've talked about basically that, you know, Murphy has, has shut up since coming to the nationals. Um, so I don't, I put a lot of stock in them being able to handle anything well, given that they didn't handle this well, but you know, that's sort of been the, the vibe of Ryan Madsen and, and, uh, Daniel Murphy have been pretty quiet about their political, about their beliefs, but you know, it's a case of because he's done that work, other players can now like, just uh, like, all you have to do is hit the retweet. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not that hard. Like you're not putting your neck out there. You know, to to put it in a way, he's using his privilege for good. Yeah, he's absolutely using his privilege for good. And it's, you know, on the one hand, I, you know, I don't think Sean Doolittle should talk over and for other people. And I don't think he does. Um, On the other hand, I don't think it should fall to people who are marginalized to constantly educate others about being marginalized. And so I think there's a a balance in that. I think this is a situation of stepping in so that somebody else doesn't have to be respectful. Yes. And so you go put your feet up. I got this one. Yeah. And so like, you know, there's, there is no reason that Max Scherzer can't go in and hit retweet. Mm -hmm. Like, what is he going to risk? His bill, his million dollars, millions and millions of dollars. Also, literally, if he got fired tomorrow, he would still be paying him for another 10 years. So like, 
Yeah. And he would probably still win a uh, sigh even if he got fired yeah. tomorrow. Let's not kid, guys. We are not firing Max. But like, yeah, like, these are guys who are in positions of relative comfort in terms of their mm-hmm. like of in terms of being under contract. Um, there's been a lot of bemoaning of the lack of clubhouse leadership now that uh, Worth is gone. But I'm like, Max is under contract for the rest of his natural life. Zim is too. Where are they? They have very little to risk, and they're not risking it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just that sort of now. Maybe it's you know, Doolittle tweeted that out, and maybe they're gonna take some a while, and then I, I don't know, I'll do it. But like, I do think that there's a point where it's like the the bar is so low, and yet they manage to to slither on the ground under, <laughs> or just just refuse to actually take a walk. So they're just like, oh, I'm just gonna sit in this comfy chair over here with umbrella on it like it's it's not even going under the bar it's not it's choosing not to participate in bar game bar based activities yes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and frankly if sterling sharp who was is way- in the minors i don't know his racial background and i don't want to assume but he is clearly a person of color from his picture he has a hell of a lot less privilege than a lot of those major leaguers who were saying nothing yeah, if like, Sterling Sharp yeah. can hit the retweet button, yeah, then Max and anybody else can hit the retweet button. Yeah. Well, it almost feels, honestly, it almost feels redundant at this point to say it, but if not in this episode, then when? Yeah, we need a Queer Fancy Sats update because the game has um, changed now. Right. So the game has changed and Jen is adapting, I believe, um, exactly what to do with payments regarding Trey. Um, was she, what, 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 were they not just adding them into the spreadsheet or? Um, I believe Trey is in the spreadsheet, but I don't know if that's, I, I don't know if that's been finalized. We haven't had okay. a game yet with Trey. Fair enough. Um, so Jen did post the most recent monetary update just after um, the latest game. And so July's total for Murphy was at Mm -hmm. $35.74. There was also a series of donations um, for Hater, um, which were based on, um, I think, fielding independent pitching. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was fielding independent pitching. And so that was a separate donation, um, which was going to uh, an organization in Milwaukee, I believe which was an organization called Diverse and Resilient. And the final donation for that, which was the series when we were playing the Brewers, was $18. Excellent, excellent. Um, And we do technically have one day left to add to those. We have more to add to the Daniel Murphy and Trey Turner stat column there. But So last but not least, on an entirely different subject, we have a very brief segment returning. Throwback. we have not had for a while. Throwback times. Uh, this would yes. be the Zach Duke update. Um, my my Twitter mutual Zach Duke. Um, we're still Twitter mutuals. I I'm assuming he does not go on his Twitter ever or has had me muted since day two. He posted uh, something today about the trade, so he somebody has been on his Twitter in the last hour. Yeah. Um, but I mean that doesn't necessarily mean he reads his timeline. Uh, <laughs> so he has been traded uh, to the Mariners. Oh, uh, did he and Span overlap as Nats? Is this a reunion? No, I don't. I don't think so. Oh. Um, but it's going to be. I don't know. It'll be a reunion with my sister, who's also in Seattle. Um, so she can she can wave to him <laughs> and be like, "You're the like third least puzzling person to wave to." Um, <laughs> I mean, we also found out that because uh, her her husband's from uh, Billings, that Chad Cordero is the pitching coach for the Billings Mustangs, which is, I believe, a single or double A affiliate minor league team. Uh, so she and I are planning to go and and go to a Billings Mustangs game. I was also going to say the uh, Chad Cordero card you got for her. Oh no, it's still should, mine. Are you keeping it? Because I was oh, going to yeah. say you should give it to her and be like, get Zach Duke to sign it. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I decided to keep it. I got her um a, a painting or a print of a painting of Safeco 
uh, field, um, which where it's like all raining in mm-hmm. the background. It's it's pretty cool. They like it. Um, as well as I gave her a Levon a, a Levon Hernandez card, and she liked that one too. So Good. Um, she got she got stuff uh, yeah. from the All Star game. Um, I will say, and Lara also or Lara also got stuff, though she doesn't know it yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was gonna uh, keep that a surprise. What? I just said stuff. Nothing. Um, we, Moving. This is not the conversation you're looking for. Um, <laughs> but we are all going to be together in Boston this weekend. Yes, we are. Um, if you don't have tickets to Saber Seminar, sorry, there are no more tickets. Did they actually sell out? They mm-hmm. actually sold out. Uh, but I'm going to be presenting uh, at Saber Seminar at uh, 2.50 as of the current iteration of the schedule on Saturday. Um, I think Laura and I are going to be at the Fangraphs meetup on Friday night. If folks are, are there. And depending Um, on what time my flake gets in, I may or may not taxi in for one last beer. So we will be in Boston. Um, If people are around and attending Sabre seminar, please, please, please come say hi. Um, Yeah. We'd, we'd love to actually meet folks and, you know, uh, Jesse Specter in a, I think, an attempt to make baseball Twitter feel feel a little bit better about the current state of baseball. Asked people to, you know, quote tweet um, one of his tweets with uh, one good baseball thing that's happened this year. And I was like, meeting people. So, but like, I mean that. So, meeting yeah. people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, please come, please come say hi, and please don't, you know, heckle during the presentation. And all three of us will be doing our best to tweet if we find anything interesting happening besides Sid's presentation, which is going to be choice. Yes. So. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to be presenting in Indianapolis in October and then in Virginia in January. Um, Ooh, as well as doing cool. a write-up. So yeah. We could so, actually um, probably do a meetup type deal if it's yes. Virginia, as long as yes. it's not like Richmond, because I'm not driving that far. No, it's it's in Northern Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Kay's love for me doesn't extend south on 95. But yeah, so it's in it's in Nova. But yes, I, I am excited about both of those things. I'm excited to to see Lara and I guess CK, though I see you. <laughs> I was like, I see you a lot. <laughs> um, but I think um, it'll be a good time and it's sort of going to be the a bit of a palate cleanser about yeah. baseball that yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to fall in love again, but right now it's baseball is really, <laughs> baseball doesn't love us back. And I try to forget that because it makes me feel less like I'm wasting my time, money and energy. Um, but you know, hopefully I can, I can forget that for a little bit over the weekend. Yeah. It, sh- it should be a good time. And we're going to have, we'll, we will report back on that. I would do want to end on, on the slightly happier note. So check out our website, wrestlingpitchface.com. That has links to our Zazzle store for any of our merch that you might want to check out. Uh, you can also, it has links to our Twitter, Rusting Pitchface with no G, which is like the number one way to get in touch with us. Um, you can also email us, restingpitchface at gmail.com. And there is an in-website comment system that I still am not totally familiar with, but it exists and you can use it. I would say I'm sorry for the for the, the downer note of the episode, but sometimes there's stuff you got to talk about whether or not you want to. So that's life. I'm Kay. I'm Laura. And I'm Sydney. Let's go Nats. Let's go Nats. Let's go Nats. Please come back, Tyler. It's just not the same since you went away. Next to true, and we need you to pitch the aid. Besides, there's no one.